My name is Christy. I'm part of the staff team here. Welcome. It's good to see you all this morning. So worship. Where's the team? So good. They're not in here. That's fine. Um, we are up here to do three-ish things, which is ways that you can get connected as a church, things that are happening, events, all that kind of stuff. The first one for this week is actually a community opportunity. So the Cowich and Valley Basket Society is looking to fill a seat on their board that we hold as a church. So the representative that currently comes to the church who's on the board is stepping down, and we're looking to fill that role with someone from here that represents the New Life community. Um, so if all things board membery is in your lane, um, we would invite you to go on to our registration page on our website. It's newlifechurch.ca forward slash events, which is not on there. Very easy to find on the homepage. And there's a registration, but it's basically to show interest. And then what's going to happen is that those applications are going to go to our missions committee. And then we are going to funnel those to the Basket Society. So if that's something that's in your lane, we would invite you to not apply, it's not the right word, but show your interest and we would love to have you register and fill that seat in such an important part of supporting our community with the basic needs of food. Yeah. You're up. Thanks, Christy. My name is Ron and I'm uh, here to be able to invite um, those who are 50 years and older to Abundant Joy on uh, Wednesday at 1.30. Um, One o'clock. One o'clock. One o'clock. One o'clock. Okay. One o'clock. I made that slide, so it's my fault that it's... Is it 1.30? Yeah, I read 1.30, but... Okay. There you go. So 1.30 program starts. I take responsibility because I made that. Well, it's okay. We're so both it's my right. fault. We're both right. We're figuring it out. Yeah. That's good. So uh, what's happening is that, um, as some of you know, I just returned from Uganda. And, um, you know, when I, when I was planning that visit, I had been told, yeah, better prepare yourself because you've seen nothing like you're going to witness when you go there for the first time. And so, true enough, I arrived and was just amazed um, at so many things that challenged uh, my understanding of what life is about. But you know, I was not prepared for what the Lord was going to teach me through his word when I returned. I came back with so many questions, in particular, uh, the question, Lord, why? Why is there such need in a country like Uganda when we have so much in the West? And the Lord uh, downloaded into my understanding from the Word of God uh, some of the answers to that question. And I would just, I'm so looking forward to being able to share that understanding from scripture with those who uh, might be able to come out. There are going to be snacks. There's going to be uh, time, of course, for us to be able to fellowship, get to know one another. And this is going to be uh, the very last one of this season. So I invite you all to come uh, be a part of uh, Abundant Joy on Wednesday, 1 to 1.30. <laughs> and we're looking forward to seeing you then. I will also add a second plug that I always, I, I work here, so I'm here on Wednesdays and I always come in and grab a plate. There's always really good snacks. So if you're food motivated, let that be your like in. Come for the food, stay for the testimony. All right. Good. I'm excited to hear it. Um, last thing is kids camp. You've heard a lot about this a few weeks leading in. You're going to hear a lot about it. We are five weeks out, five weeks today. The sanctuary is going to look like we're going to space. So our theme this year is shining Jesus light. And so we are looking for volunteers. We have 
a good group so far. What we need, though, is small group leaders. So these are people that are going to be assigned a group of kids in an age group, and you're going to see them every night for five nights. And I volunteer lots of ways, VBS over the years. Um, I volunteered as a small group leader last year, and I had one particular boy in my group that he didn't speak a word to me until the end of Thursday night. And when he came in on Friday, he was a different kid. He felt safe. He felt comfortable. He felt like he could just have fun in a space where a lot of these kids are not coming from Christian homes or coming from battered homes or coming from a lot of mess. And to have them here to host, it's so rewarding. So I would invite you again, go to our events page, sign up for that. Brittany gave me a note. Next week, kids registration opens. So if you have... I think it's up to grade four that you can register them to come to camp. That's going to be open next week. And if you have any questions, Brittany, who was beautifully dressed up here earlier, um, just ask her and she will be help, happy to direct you in whatever you need. Cool. So we're going to read from scripture from 1 John 2, verse 28 to 3, verse 10. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn to that? And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him, he cannot go on sinning, because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks for coming to our second service this morning. On Friday, we had a, a wonderful, a lovely event in our, on our patio area. We had a men's barbecue uh, burger night. 
uh, it was a great night. The sun was shining. Uh, we had loads of different activities going on. There was hatchet throwing. You know, we had a big, uh, we were throwing big axes around. Um, Gordon brought some knives. We were throwing knives about, doing things that men like to do, you know, um, throwing things and eating burgers. And we had a great time together. Uh, and um, on that evening, uh, we, we had some picnic tables that we wanted to have ready. And, and so if you want to use the back patio area, uh, your house church, or you want to just have a little picnic, it's there. It's, it's lovely. There's a lovely tent. Make use of it, okay? We want it to be used. But we wanted the picnic tables done for the barbecue. And so on that evening, um, about a couple of hours before the event started, Matt, who made the picnic tables for us, came to finish it off. And he came and he had his belt with him and he, you know, he's a, he's a joiner. He works with wood for a living, builds houses and all of these things and has a proper utility belt. So he came and he's put his belt on and he's got his hammer and his drill and he's got his pencils in there and all his screws and drill bits and things like that. And he had his little son with him. And this is a picture of his son there uh, and his son came along and his son had this tiny little belt as well. I don't know what you could get in there, really, you know, like, but he put his, his son put his belt on as well, and he had a hammer and little screws. He had a real size drill, but he wanted to be like his father. He wanted to imitate his, his dad. You can see what his dad was doing, and he wanted to copy his father. And it was so cute. And he was going around with his little hammer and screws and hammering screws into things he shouldn't have been hammering it into. And, but, you know, and he was like, he was more mischief than he was, you know, useful. But it was like he wanted to be there with his dad. He wanted to do what his dad was doing. You know, he wanted, he looked up to his father and he wanted to be like him. And this morning's passage that we're looking at, John is encouraging us to do the same in our Christian walk. He's asking us as children of God to imitate our heavenly Father in how we live and how we act. The visible proof of being a Christian is right living. Uh, and John tells us here uh, in chapter 28, he says, Now, dear children, continue in him, and when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him in his coming. John is saying when Christ returns and when we meet him face to face, we can have confidence that we have acted the way God wants us to act. We'll be confident that we've lived our lives in the right manner. And there's three things John wants to teach us here this morning. And it, he, every time he, he gives us an instruction, he starts with this. He says, dear children, we have three instructions this morning, and he starts the same way. In verse 28, dear children, he says. And then in verse 2, dear friends. And then in verse 7, dear children. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Three instructions John gives us, and how we can continue walking in the way of holiness, how we can continue imitating our Father. Uh, three instructions, and the first one is this. We have, John's encouraging us to continue walking in him. Verse 1. As I've read, and now, dear children, continue in him. What does that mean? What does it mean to continue in him? Well, to continue in him, we could, we could call it to abide. John is encouraging us to abide in him. And we came across the word last week, to abide, which means to live, con 
continuously someplace. There's a wonderful hymn that we sing called Abide in Me. And I'm not going to sing it because I'm pretty bad at singing. But if the band was here, I'll get them to sing it perhaps. But abide in me. And the words go like this. Abide with me. Fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens. Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. What a wonderful hymn. I'm singing it now in my head. But Christianity is about a relationship of love between the creatures and their maker, about how we can continue to abide in God. But when we abide in God, it's a two-way street. You know, God loves us, but he asks us to have love for him as well, regardless of our circumstances. It isn't about just believing in certain things or attending funerals or weddings or christenings. It isn't about going to certain places or doing certain things, but it's about having and living a vibrant, real, daily relationship with God. We abide in Him. We continue in Him. We live with Him. And to understand that as Christians, one day we'll go to heaven, that's great. To be in Jesus, well, that makes us fit for heaven, right? But to live with Christ, well, that makes us fit for earth. A real abiding relationship with Jesus will change us, will break our chains, will allow us to bear fruit. What an amazing thought, isn't it? That we are able, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, to consider the creator of the universe a personal friend. Let me tell you something else pretty special as well that John is telling us this morning. He says, when we do abide in him, and we looked at that last week, what it means to abide. When we abide in Jesus Christ, there are two amazing things that we can take away, that we can hang our hat on this morning. And it's in verse 1 of chapter 3. And it says this, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And John wants us to understand two things, to be rooted and grounded in two things. The first one is this, that God loves us and that we are children of God. So what does it mean that God loves us? Well, the love of God is the basis of the Christian life. First of all, that means that the love God has for us in our own lives. A love that was willing to give up his own son on the cross so that we may live, we may have abundant life. But love doesn't make a relationship until it is returned. Like a husband and wife, you want to have relationship going, love going the both, both ways, right? It's the same with God. God loves us and that will never change. But in order for us to have a relationship, we too must love God. A true Christian is a person in a love relationship with God. God hands us a box with our name on it when we call Jesus our Lord and our Savior. And we expect to open it up and find all sorts of things in there, like our sins and our mistakes in there. But actually, what we find is that when we come to believe in Jesus, the miracle of conversion takes place 
and we are forgiven and the box is not only empty, but when we open it, it is filled with the love of God for us. That's what Christianity is all about. It's about a love relationship between the creatures and their maker. We are now children of God and he's our heavenly father. The problem is, though, we don't always understand this. We don't value that we are loved by God and that we are children of God. The Bible doesn't describe God as a long-last uncle where one day we're going to receive some inheritance, perhaps. But the Bible talks about God the Father, and we are his children, and he is our Father, which makes us, you know, makes us sons and daughters of God. I love how the Bible is described, describes us as children of God. But here's the deal. We don't see ourselves as Christians that way all the time. We have a way of creating our own labels, finding our, our own identity that isn't of God. I've got something here on the slide. Uh, it's called a hashtag. Now, a hashtag, when I was little, my grand used to have a telephone. You know those old phones that you dial around? You'd have to kind of dial and go, you know and it would go back on itself and had the numbers. And one of the, one of the symbols was a hashtag. And they never knew what it was for. I had no idea why it was there. Perhaps someone could tell me what that what was there for. But today, a hashtag is something that you, you label something. So we had a great evening with the barbecue. And so you put something on social media and you may at the end put hashtag Great night out, or I love burgers, or hashtag Vancouver is fantastic. And it's used to label something or to identify something. Now, who has the right to label or identify something? Well, the maker, the maker of something. So, for example, um, Ford um, might make a car, a big bus, and they've made it, and so they're able to, to label it. And so they can put their little badge on Ford right on the front of it. And you know that it belongs to Ford. But then we as a church, we buy it. We buy that car and then we want to label it. We want to put new life on the side of it. And so we take it to the shop and then they put a sticker on new life. We've labeled that because we've bought it. So who can label something? The maker of it and someone who buys it, you know. The church down the road couldn't come along and put their logo on because it doesn't belong to them. They don't have the right to put the label on, but we do because we've bought it. The thing is, in life, we label ourselves or people label us and we kind of label ourselves with wrong labels and wrong hashtags. What has the right to label something? Someone who makes something? Or someone who buys something. People don't have the right to label us. If I'm honest, we don't have the right to label ourselves either. You see, we're made in the image of God. God made us. And so he can label us. And he bought us at a price when Jesus Christ died on the cross. So he made us and he bought us. So God can label us, but we can't. The thing is, we allow other people's labels to affect who we become. So let me give you an example of what I'm trying to get at. 
Um, there are labels that have been given to me when I've, I've grown up that have, I, um, have defined me and have shaped who I've become or how I respond to certain situations. For example, when I was about 11 years old, uh, we, there, was, there was a dance on, at my school, my comprehensive school, and I wanted to ask a girl in my class um, out to the dance. And so I thought, I got all the courage up and I mustered the courage and I said, I'm going to ask her to the dance. So after school, everybody was leaving school. I, I ran up to her and I said, would you like to go to the dance with me tonight? And she turned around and went, no, not you. And I was like, oh, and it kind of just crushed me. And as an 11-year-old teenage boy trying to find my way in the world, I, I labeled myself as unattractive. Hashtag unattractive. You know, I asked this girl, and the way, if she just said, uh, no, no thanks, I'm, I've got other plans, I'm washing my hair, or I've got, you know, a boyfriend, that's fine. But the way she responded, it was like, oh, like, who am I? And that really affected me and affected how I viewed myself for many years. I didn't ask anyone out until I was about 18 years old. Hashtag unattractive. Or when I was uh, younger, about seven or eight, in my elementary school, um, what they did, they would put children uh, on a table according to your academic ability. And I was put on the, the lowest table, yeah, the, the kind of, the, the, the dunce table, the kind of not so uh, academically able table. Um, I don't know how you say it politically correctly these days, right? The kind of daft table. I was put on the table where you needed a bit more support, reading and with maths. And I thought, oh, no, I'm, I'm not very uh, clever. And that really affected me, you know, and I, I viewed myself as being stupid. Um, and it really affected me. It affected my confidence. It affected how I viewed myself. Um, something clicked. I have two master's degrees now. Uh, so something along my life clicked. I think I went to my, I went to my head teacher and I said, I, I need extra help. I, I worked really hard. And I, 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 but I view myself today as not being very intellectually intelligent. And I really struggle with that. That's something, it's an area I don't feel qualified to be a pastor or a teacher. Um, and that's just the way I, because of that one incident as a child, it really shaped how I view myself. Which didn't help when I was going to Bible school and an elder of the church pulled me aside. So I was leaving engineering and I I applied to go to Bible school, and it was, I was going to Bible school, and an elder of the church came along to me and said, Simon, uh, I need to, to listen to what I'm saying. I don't think you are qualified to go to Bible school uh, because I don't think you, you can preach. I don't think you're a preacher. I don't think you'll ever be a preacher, and I don't think you can teach the Bible, so you shouldn't go. And that, because it came from an elder of the church that I was attending, uh, I thought to myself, I can't. I can't teach. I took his words seriously. And so I labeled myself not a teacher of the Bible. And it really messed my head up. And I thought, okay, I, I, I believed. I, I believed him. He's an elder of the church. So I, I questioned my calling and I questioned whether I should go to Bible school or not. And because 
I already believed I was daft, then I thought, right, this must be true. I, 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 perhaps I should stay in engineering. Or another time was when as a child, I always wanted to find approval of my father. You know, he was a successful engineer. His father was a successful engineer. His father was a successful engineer. And I wanted to prove that I could be um, worthy of being part of the family. And so I always felt I was a disappointment to my, to my father, to my family. I could never uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, meet his expectations in my life. And today, as a 42-year-old man, I still try and seek the approval of my dad. You see, labels are powerful and they can define us and they can determine how we respond in life and how we govern our actions and our um, ability to think and act and live. And our labels that people give us or the labels that we give ourselves define how we respond and act with each other as well. As a pastor, I have to deal with people's labels every, every day. Perhaps you're divorced. And because of that divorce, you feel that you aren't a good husband or wife or a failure. Or that perhaps you're going through depression and that you feel, you know, you've been given this label, I'm depressed, and it affects how you think of yourself, that there's something not right within you. Or you are going through addictions. And that affects how you view yourself. Perhaps you're, you're a gay man, you're up till two o'clock in the morning on your computer, or you're addicted to going to the gym because you feel that you're overweight and you need to be you know, healthy and so you're addicted to going to the gym. Or here's a good one, you know, perhaps you just, you're addicted to coffee. But it's, that's okay because you call yourself a coffee connoisseur. Well, it's okay, I'm a coffee, I'm a coffee connoisseur. It's not the fact that you are addicted to the thing, you can't stop drinking it, but you, you kind of justify it by saying, well, it's okay. I'm a coffee connoisseur, I'm an expert, I need to keep drinking it. Or perhaps you're stressed in life. And if you label yourself as being stressed, then the way you respond to that, you, well, you can do anything you want. I'm stressed, so I'm going to drink a glass of wine. Well, actually, I better make it a bottle of wine tonight after work because I'm stressed. It's okay. So the labels that we give ourselves define who we become and how we respond in life. And when we accept a label, it, it, we allow it to control us and shape us, and here we are. That's not what the Bible teaches. John saying here, do you know what? God loves you, but we are a child of God. That is our identity. That is who we are. And no matter what we go through in life, God is saying, I want you to know that you are a child of God above everything else. And I want that label to, I, I, to define who you are, who you become, how you respond, how that affects your life in society. You see, God made us, remember that? And God bought you at a price. We are made in the image of God. Ephesians 2, 10 tells us, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God made you. John 1, 1 John 3 verse 1, 
See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Or we can look at Psalm 139, verse 14, which says, I praise you because I am faithfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Or Psalm 139, verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You see, we are made in the image of God and God bought us at a price. He made us and he owns us. And it is only God that can define us. So don't allow the labels of the world to define us, but allow God to define us. And when we come into Christ, the Holy Spirit tells us who we are. He says, I want you to know this is solid. We see Ephesians 1, verse 13 to 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who were in God's possession to the praise of his glory. You see, there's two things in here that I want us to highlight. <clears throat> First of all, we are marked with him with a seal. The concept there is, you know, in the olden days, if you wanted to send a letter to somebody, you'd get a wax seal. And then I say the olden days, you know, I mean, like not Canadian olden days. Like you don't have olden days in Canada yet, do you? You know, you're only 100 years old. But like the olden, olden days, you would get a, a letter and you'd put a wax uh, seal on there and you'd stamp it to authenticate it was genuine. To authenticate uh, that it was, you know, where it was coming from. And we are marked with the Holy Spirit and God is saying, I'm marking you and it is genuine. You've got my mark on you and I love you and you belong to me and nobody can ever take that away. God is saying, when we come into Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in us and you belong to me. And that's all that you need to know. And then he says there that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance for all eternity. When we are become children of God, we get invited into his family and we have that inheritance for eternity. It's a deposit. Christ will come and take us away. But while we live on earth, the Holy Spirit is saying you are a deposit for what is to come. Isn't that wonderful? That is our identity. That is who we are. It is an intention of full ownership. God is saying, you are mine and I love you. And there are other verses in Scripture that tells us, like in Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 8, tells us that we are adopted children in his family. And God, I just feel like God has his arms around us saying, I love you. Whatever labels, whatever identities that you've been given up, that you've given yourself, I want you to know that you belong to me. I love you and that you are sons and daughters of me and I'll never let you go. And that's what John is saying here. God loves you and that we are children of God. And he says, once you know that, once you get grounded in that, that's the foundation of our Christian life. 
He then goes on and says, this is my second point. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we should be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. John is saying the second thing is this, aim for perfection. Once we know that God loves us and that we are grounded in him, John says continue to aim for perfection. That's my second point in there in verse 2. Dear friends. So verse 1 tells us we are who we are in Christ. And verse 2 goes on and tells us who we're becoming uh, and we should be reflections of God. And he says they aim for perfection. Somebody once said, it's strange how many people expect to be with God in heaven who haven't got a moment to spend with him on earth. You see, verses 2 and 3 in this passage tell us that the Christian life is a process of becoming more and more like Christ. But this process is not complete until we see Jesus face to face. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, tell us, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we should see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am known fully. Our time on earth is just a little, it's like a reflection. It's only, we're like a shadow until the full glory. And then in Philippians 3, 21, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under control will transform our lowly bodies so that they would be like his glorious body. The Bible tells us that our time here on earth is just temporary and our goal is eternity. But while we are on earth, John is saying, continue to be pure. Continue walking in the way of holiness. Continue looking toward your heavenly father and to try and imitate our heavenly father. And John is saying there's two paths. We can either try and be like our father in, 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 in holiness and pureness, or verse four, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that we might take away sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning no one who continues to sin has either seen him or has known him. And John says this, there are two ways. Like his style, they have love and or truth. You have darkness and light. You have living for holiness or living for the world in, in sin. Which one do we want to do? Do we want to go and pursue holiness or do we want to pursue sin? You see, sin is law-breaking. And breaking the law is not characteristic of the Christian behavior. We don't want to break speed limits. I was going to pick my mother-in-law up last night in Victoria. Uh, and as I'm driving down to Victoria, it's, it's late. She's got the last ferry. Uh, I, I, you know, the ferry was arriving in at about 11 o'clock. And I was tired and I was thinking, I want to get home quick, right? And so it was very tempting to break the speed limit to get home so I can get to bed, so I can come to church early in the Sunday morning. But you don't want to do that, do you? You don't want to break the speed limit. We don't want to duck paying our taxes. We don't want to steal music from the internet. We don't want to drive through stop signs. 
Why not? Because sin is law-breaking, and law-breaking is sin. And we know that there are no grades of sin, little ones that don't matter and big ones that do matter. Sin is sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We make mistakes, right? We're not perfect. I, uh, I've joined a football team, a soccer team on a Monday night, and uh, it's with Peter Terpster, and Peter and I play in a league just down around the corner, and it's one of these leagues, it's like a multi-gender league, where men and women can play together, and we, uh, I've come from England, and uh, English soccer is quite physical and quite rough, and so when we, I, I'm a defender, I don't have much skill, but I'm good at defending, and I can, I'm 42, so I'm a bit slow now, but when I tackle, I like to, I like to tackle the ball hard, right, to go through the player. Uh, but the league that we're playing in is a non-contact league, so uh, I'm, I'm finding it hard to adapt in this new league. And so um, the, the rough English guy is there, and what, a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was playing football, and you know, I, I like to shoulder barge somebody to get the ball. Uh, you can't do that. And so the referee stops and gives a free kick. I'm like, oh, okay. And then two minutes later, I go in for a tackle. And, you know, the referee gives another free kick. And I'm like, oh, come on, referee. And then, you know, I kept giving fouls away that evening to the point where I was getting so frustrated. I was like, come on, referee. This is not fair. Oh, referee. He said, he said hey, Louis whistle. He said, you come here. Oh, man, come on. So I came over to the referee and he stopped the game and he gave me a yellow card in the game. And I was like, oh, man. So at the end of the game, I went to the referee and I said, listen, I'm sorry. I'm a pastor of a church. Um, it, it shouldn't have happened. I, I shouldn't have. Ha it's my first yellow card in my life. I've played soccer for 25 years. It's my first yellow card I've ever received. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Uh, I... I've got no excuse. I shouldn't have done it. And so then I went to the, to the, the organizer of the, of the league. Uh, and Peter, one of the one of our guys here, it's with the Coachin Valley, you know, the, the football team there. I went to him and I said, I'm so sorry. Um, I, shouldn't have, I shouldn't have got a yellow card. I'm a pastor of a church. Can you please forgive me? That wasn't right. It wasn't to the standard that I expect a Christian in my congregation, never mind a pastor of the church, Please forgive me. You see, as Christians, we do make mistakes. We do sin. We are, by nature, sinners. But we have to raise our standards and set the moral bar higher. That's what John is saying here. Continue to walk in the way of holiness. Continue to grow in our purity. Like my yellow card, it's hard to avoid sin. And if we try and avoid sin, then we won't ever avoid it. We'll keep on sinning because ultimately we are sinful people. So John is saying, don't try and avoid sin, but try and focus on God. Try and continue to grow in our devotion, in our prayer time. Make sure we continue reading our scriptures. Make sure we keep coming to church, to our house churches, to the men's barbecues. You see, our greatest influence in our lives isn't sin. Our greatest influence in our lives is God. And the more we get to know God, the more we have that relationship with God, the more we will grow and the fruit of the Spirit will come out of us. A great musician, Rubenstein, said, If I omit practice once a day, I notice it. If I omit practice for two days, 
uh, my friends notice it. If I omit practice for three days, the public notice it. And I thought, well, that's interesting. How can I apply that to my Christian life? If I omit church for one Sunday, I notice it. If I omit coming to church perhaps for two weeks, my friends notice it and my wife notices it. If I was to omit church for three weeks, then my football team around me notices it. The less we spend time with God, the more we begin to notice it. The less we read the word and the less we pray and the less we begin to get led astray and the people around us notice it. John here is saying our foundation is that God loves us and we find our identity in him. We are children of God. And if we understand that as a foundation, then we will continue to grow in God and continue to find our purity and to continue to find the fruit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control will be evident in our lives. And then John continues and says in verse 7, Dear children, do not let, do not let anyone lead you astray. I'm not going to focus on that this week because we looked at it last week. What does it mean to be led astray? But John, do you believe in the devil? John did. Jesus did. The devil will try and lead us astray gently. So keep our foundation in God. Let's find our identity in God. John is encouraging us to keep rooted in the knowledge that we are sons and daughters of God. If we believe in Christ, if we trust in him, we find our identity in him as being part of his family. We have a security that cannot be taken away. 1 Peter 1 verses 3 to 5 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of your salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. What an assurance that our hope in Christ can never perish, spoil, or fade. If we know we are in Christ, this is where we find our security. Let me encourage you this morning. John is saying in this passage, God loves you. And when we put our trust in him, we find that we are part of God's family. We are children of God. John says, when we are children of God, continue pursuing God in all things. And if we continue pursuing God in all things, then we will stay solid and true to him. What a hope we have in God. 